This is Table Talk 19.9921875 from the guys at Late Afternoon Gaming. Tonight, we're talking about Witch Hunt, why I hate HP printers so much, and some D&D stuff before we get back to Curse of Strahd for the first time in months. Enjoy. Okay, welcome back to another Table Talk. Um, this one will be the last in the sequence of 19 point whatever, uh, which will be nice. For Table Talk last time, uh, I forgot, I, I usually cut out all the mic check noises we make, and I somehow missed that last time, so the last Table Talk starts with us going <laughs> like, like, me, 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 and all this stuff, so, uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> um, syphilis, syphilis. Yeah. Um, that's really all I have for Table Talk, uh, and for the session itself, the only thing I have are just, just some regrets. One, I wish I hadn't given you guys inspiration. Uh, two, I regret not looking up Balasar's spells, um, because w- her main challenge was her ability to heal, and then I didn't realize that you had something that would just take that ability away. Um, wish I'd, I'd looked a little closer at that. That was fun during the session after <laughs> after <laughs> it got read out, and you were like, "Oh, really? Like, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh fuck. how can I get out of this?" <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, that was a super murder death kill kind yeah. of situation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, for Emmerich, uh, I know that you had already nerfed that sword, but that sword needs another nerf. Um, I think. Yeah. I think. Well, because the the problem is, it gives you the ability to cast very powerful spells at will, limitlessly, um, and. Like, the other items that I've given people let you do certain things, but they always have charges associated with it, so there's a cost. Yeah. Um, the, I, the ability I, to counterspell every turn um, is, yeah. like, that, that's that's too much. And so, if you'll allow yeah. me, I, I want to make a new version of that weapon that has charges, um, because that that's just, it's too much. Yeah. You guys I, keep nerfing don't, my don't, weapon. Yeah, don't, uh, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Just keep it. Fight back. No, I, I I agree. I mean, I I was the one who, I was the one who initially nerfed it and said, okay, um, just straight up counterspelling with no roll is too op. Um, right. Yeah. Well, because the original <laughs> version was no one can do magic. Um, yeah. And yeah. It, it's just outrageous. And even now, it's still with your nerf, it's still too powerful. So I'll make a new one. You can check it out. I encourage you to use it because right now, what you have is just too much. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting was. I think that the fight between you guys and Sister Friday versus the fight between you guys and the witch and her bears is a really good study in how important the action economy is. Because I had, like, the way I had built the fight, I thought that the fight against the witch was going to be much harder. Um, but I only gave her two attacks per turn, um, and then the bears would do one or two things per turn. Whereas Sister Friday had at least four attacks every turn. The only time she didn't do that is if she would cast a spell. Um, and the witch did more damage on average per hit. But the fight against Sister Friday ended up being way harder simply because she could just do more damage because she had more attacks. Um, and so even though I thought I had balanced it so that the witch fight was harder, it wasn't at all. And not just because of the healing thing. Um, so I think it's an, it's an interesting look at the power of just how many attacks you get per turn, uh, which is something that has already been discovered, but it was something that I thought was kind of interesting. I will say, um, you know, the the high-level D&D thing is is very different and weird and hard, 
And especially, I think, in like my circumstances where your characters were ones that you, I mean, even though you leveled quickly, you played them at every level up to 20. Uh, I play relatively little D&D from the player side of the table and, uh, you know, have never played a high level character before. And so in the first session, I was really stumbling Even though I had reviewed the character sheet in advance because I didn't want to slow things down, I still found that I struggled to, like, make my turns uh, happen quickly. Yeah. And something that I was particularly bad about in the the first couple of sessions we played was I... um, I kept too much in the tank. Like, I kept a bunch of stuff in reserve. And so... That, that I shouldn't have. Um, and, and so I wasn't doing as much damage or having as much of an impact in the fights as I should have. Whereas the fight with the witch, not only did I, and I think the, the two of you overcome that, but I also knew that this was probably the last fight anyway, so there was no point in holding anything in reserve at all. Right, and there, there's some balance stuff with that too, where if you know that your DM likes to throw lots of things in a row at you, without letting you rest or maybe you get a short rest but long rests are like not going to happen wherever you're at then that kind of thing makes more sense but if you know that you're going to be able to long rest before the next fight then yeah there's leaving anything out is totally pointless and in fact probably counterproductive right so uh, you know point point being there were a lot of factors in play there that had all that all meant we were going to do more damage in the final fight sure yeah um, other factors and too I, and I did want to retract there. I and, wanted to yeah. retract my earlier comment that I was underwhelmed with what a level 20 paladin was doing in terms of damage um i i was very happy with the the like damage output in the final fight right because assuming your sword strike or whatever hits it there's a lot of dice (laughs) that go along with the damage that and i think uh another thing was claire's um claire's ability that gave us all advantage on um saving throws yeah, that's another regret. I wish I hadn't done that too. Because <laughs> that was that was huge. I mean that that definitely caught off, you know, probably I don't know high double digits, if not triple digits, of damage for me. Yeah. Uh, well, and I did that because I thought, man, I've made this fight so hard that like this is going to be necessary. Uh, and and turns out I just I was wrong, <laughs> and I I should have made the fight a lot harder. I wish I had, uh, but you know whatever. It would have taken even longer at that point, uh, even after I cut out a ton of admin. I don't know if you guys have listened to it yet. I only just published it, but um, yeah. it's still... I haven't listened to it yet. You know, the fight itself is like an hour long, even after I cut a, a gigantic amount of stuff that we did. So, I- it's funny, though, because these these are the common complaints about D&D high-level play. It's combats that have extremely long turns extremely unbalanced god players uh, that can just do crazy stuff that you can't predict and so they can trivialize fights. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I, I, I'm not surprised by any of this, but it's still interesting to see it firsthand. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you're exactly right. And uh, I obviously have no experience <laughs> with making level 20 stuff. The, the best, most balanced fight was one where I just made another level 20 character and, and just beefed them up a little bit as opposed to just trying to... Because uh, the witch has a monster sheet, not a character sheet. Um, and right. I was, you know, adding legendary actions and all this stuff. I don't know how to balance that. Whereas if I just make a 
samurai fighter and give her a, a you know a more powerful weapon and a couple extra abilities that's you know that's basically balanced and then that ended up being like a pretty uh, pretty even fight yeah well and by the by the end of tomb of annihilation well at the beginning of tomb of annihilation i would try to figure out how you could do things and i was reluctant to throw them at you if there wasn't a clear way to do it by the end of it not only did i realize that that wasn't an effective way to dm but i had also leveled your characters so high that i would just throw whatever at you guys and you would figure something out right yeah i was taking like the opposite approach when i was designing this at least from the beginning like i looked at you guys uh you know the two characters at the beginning where i'm like I gotta make sure they don't have any way to get to another plane. Okay, great. That means the story can happen. <laughs> um, like, designing it around what you can't do. I do, I, I do remember that bit at the very beginning of the first Witch's session, where she got sucked into a, another plane, and I was looking through my spell list, and I said something like, do I have a way to get to other planes? And you said, no, you don't. I checked. <laughs> like, right. right. Yeah, I think I said something like, like, I know you don't. That's why I wrote the adventure this way. Or something like that. Yeah. I, I will say, Shepard, I, I don't think that witch fight was, like, crazy unbalanced. Um, I mean, it went, like, five or six rounds, I think, which is honestly pretty good for D&D. And I, I know I was pretty close to going down, and uh, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were too. And, like, just a little more damage towards either of us, and we go down, that would have tipped the fight. Yeah, that's. I have a couple other things. If I could go back, I wouldn't have healed you with Claire, and I would have, uh, I would have downed you with the witch. Yeah. To to like make someone else have to do something because that would basically give her a free round. At that yep. point, uh, you know, oh, Balasar has to come heal you, and then she's gonna attack Balasar and something like that. There are things if I could go back that I would do. Not only that, but I would also figure out some way around the no healing thing. Um, maybe just give everybody, you know, triple the HP or something, and then it doesn't matter if they can't heal because they just have so many HP. I don't know. <laughs> yep. That's the classic, the classic 5e DMs crutch. It's like, oh. Yeah, give more health. Plus health, yeah. yeah. Maybe if I make them more powerful. Oh, there he is. <laughs> no, I was uh, trying trying to resolve a, an acoustic deficiency over here. I, I, I'm trying to figure out what this low thrumming noise is, and I think it is the AC in the apartment next to me. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, nothing you can do about that. Uh, no. Nothing Have legal tried? anyway. <laughs> there we go. Nothing I'm going to talk about at Table Talk. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but that was pretty much all I had for Table Talk. Um, nothing significant to report statistically for the uh, for the podcast. Because I only just released the other two episodes like two days ago. So ain't nobody listened to them yet. But uh, but just give it time and it'll take off. Yeah. Like all the other ones do. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there'll be like, instead of the four downloads right now, it'll get up to like 10 or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the thing that I really wanted to address during this table talk is something that I had put in the chat a couple days ago, uh, which is that I'll start off by saying that I'm I'm not particularly angry as a person. I ham things up for the for the podcast from time to time, but generally speaking, like not not a ton of stuff in my day to day life really gets to me. But the thing that'll send me from zero to pissed very quickly is trying to deal with my printer <laughs> um, and it's not just the specific printer I have now this has been something that's been going on for as long as I've been an adult and I had my own printer it just seems like it's a it's getting worse every year how hard it is to just use your printer like to just turn it on and print a word document yeah, or whatever it's awful 
it's absolutely terrible. I have the same problem, and it pisses me off, too. Yeah, and to on top of just the general it-doesn't-work problem, so my printer is an HP printer, and I, I despise it. <laughs> um, one of the things that HP does, and I don't think HP is the only one, but you have to do everything through their app. And uh, because if you just try to print it, it just like it just won't receive anything. So you have to open the app and you have to log into it and you have to have, make sure your product is registered with HP. And it's it, I'm like, I just it's I'm not like printing to a printer that is like in another building. I, it's, I'm not even printing over Wi-Fi. I have a, a USB out from my computer going into the printer. Why do I have to go through all of these crazy steps when I've got the driver installed to just print something? I, I go ballistic <laughs> on this thing because it's such a waste. It's so stupid. Um, the thing that confuses thought. me about the, the HP situation, because my, my printer's also HP. Um, if I have to print something in the near future, I'm probably just going to get something else. But usually when people, or when companies rather, force you to go through an app, the, the intent behind it is they're doing some some kind of data collection and then they'll sell the data or they need like user analytics or whatever i don't know what what a printer company would get out of that i don't i don't know what useful data they could collect that would have any kind of value to anybody who buys data so it it makes me wonder though because on the one hand yes it you know you wonder well sure you're printing shit out what do they need like a document count or something like that on the other hand that's probably one of the most sensitive things you could collect is like which documents are being printed in this person's home. Um, right. Cause you could be printing have... bank statements or things with your social on it or right. whatever. Right. I mean, chances are, you know, the, the sensitivity of what is being printed, there are going to be a lot of social security numbers and account numbers and stuff like that floating around. I do wonder if it is, you know, a government, if not mandated, um, you know, government, pressured or incentivized program so that um you know and it's funny because this conversation on the server took us to talking about um like the micro dot uh tracking that the right the secret service thing in 2012 right right so for for those of you who don't know on many different types of printers um when you print something out there are these very very fine light colored dots that are characteristic of I don't know if it's the model of printer or if it goes all the way down to like you know the serial number of your specific printer um, and the idea is it's, it's very very hard to spot and if you don't know what you're looking for you won't find it um, but law enforcement can take a piece of paper that's printed out and they can analyze it and they can figure out what printer it came from and right. I imagine printer, it's basically like a QR code where you can scan it and then it'll just give you information of like, oh, the, the serial number of the printer is this or something I'm, like that. I'm sure they just run it through a database and yeah, they can get make and model off of it and maybe serial number. But uh, I mean, people didn't know about this. And then in, I think it was 2012, this is when Reality Winner, who was either an NSA employee or a contractor um, or work, maybe the DIA or some other intelligence agency leaked like i can't even remember what it was well the one i posted you know, was just a foia request um about the uh the micro dot thing and who uh like which which printer companies had agreed to do it which is basically all of the major ones except epson 
Right, but I, I'm, I'm going to look this up now because I was actually coincidentally reading about this not that long ago. Well, while you do that, I'm going to sing the praises of Epson. Um, I I happen to quite like Epson printers. Uh, when I was in college, I was part of a like an activity that required us to get like a little receipt printer, um, and I got one from Epson, and it just works, and it's great, and I love it. Um, and they're one of the few companies that did not agree to that microdot thing, at least not based on the document that I had seen. Um, and looking into their products a little bit, it looks like they don't have an app that goes along with it that you have to use. So my, the next printer I buy is going to be an Epson printer because <laughs> fuck HP and their printers. <laughs> I, they drive me crazy. And uh, Epson, my experience with that company has been pretty good so far. So Epson, if you want to sponsor this podcast, I'd be more than happy to sing your praises. HP, if you want to sponsor us, you're going to have to pay me a lot more because I hate you. <laughs> but okay, that's I found, not I found the information. So Winner was a an NSA contractor, um, prior military, and uh, she had leaked an intelligence community report to the press, specifically to the Intercept, um, about Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. And it looks like the Intercept. Um, was accused of mishandling the documents or not being as careful as they could have because the FBI was able to get access to the documents and verify the printer tracking dots. Um, and but you know between that and and like computer access logs where she worked, they were able to pin her. Um, but yeah, I uh, I had a recent HP experience that just drove me up the wall. I had this ancient, like super dumb printer. I've had it for well over a decade. It's the most basic printer I could find, and I think I bought it at Walmart for 30 bucks way back when. And um, I never... I don't remember connecting it to Wi-Fi. Like, I always just plugged into it if I needed to print something. And I tried to print something recently, and uh, I couldn't, even though I was plugged in. I needed to do the app, so I did all the push-ups to install the app and you know, give it a sample of my blood and semen and stuff like that. Everything that, like, HP needs from you before it'll let you print out a one-page document. And then, um, I get all the way to the end of this process and there's some error and it won't let me print. Um, or scan. Like, I, I was just totally fucked. I had, you know, just given them all this information and wasted all this time and couldn't even use the machine. So, I went out and I bought... Uh, a new printer. I'm now the proud owner of a, an Epson ET4800 EcoTank. It is a dream. It's a great printer. Um, the EcoTank thing seems just like a really good concept, um, which the basically the idea is instead of buying cartridges of ink, it's just got like a vat that you dump ink into, um, and it it's like way cheaper and it just lasts way longer and it's just an obviously superior system. It's a lot of fucking ink. Um, and... Jack can attest to this because he was staying with me not too long ago. Uh, he was like in town visiting, and then we went and we played Delta Green with some friends of mine locally. And I like <laughs> oh, to. Oh yeah, is this you printing like several textbooks of uh, of documents? Yeah. So I, the, I the had, printer was um, running for like a half an hour, and he never had to refill the ink. Oh, not insane. even close. Like I'm, I mean, I'm still, you know, at the F on the tank. Um, but I, yeah, I, I like to print out paper copies of this stuff that I'm running, and then I scribble on it while I run it, and then I, you know, sharpen up my notes and blah blah blah. I'm, I'm old-fashioned, 
which actually is a good segue into our next topic, which I'll get to in a second. But, um, but yeah, Prenner just handling that like a champ. Um, and I brought, you know, a ream of paper to the game. Um, and uh, Epson, uh, if anyone, if anyone's on the brink, and they're like, well, I don't know what makes Epson any better than HP. They're owned by Seiko, right? They're owned yeah. by Seiko, so I, you know, I don't. Nothing else needs to be said. Yeah. So, like I said, Epson, please reach out. Um, if you give me one dollar, you will be the official sponsor of this podcast. Um, <laughs> Epson, send me some swag. I yeah. will. I'll wear like an Epson trucker cap. I will put an Epson decal on my on my car. Yep. Jack said he would get Epson tattooed onto his chest. I actually already have Epson tattooed on my chest. Yeah. So. We love Epson. Here. I want Epson. I want gear. I want like a. If you can give me like a, a printer, I could strap onto my arm. Like you know how Yu Gi Oh has that uh, thing yeah, yeah, that he yeah. puts his. Like give me something like that, but that's a it's a printer. Um, like I'll go all the way for you. I want I want to be an Epson influencer. I love your product. Mm-hmm. Epson also has an app, but you do not need to use it. The app is extremely useful, and basically what it, in, in my case, what it let me do is I can do all kinds of printing shit from my phone now that I wasn't able to do before. Okay. And it makes it, like, it just gives you a better interface if you need to do anything with the printer, and you don't want to use the printer buttons to do it. Like, you can use your phone to, you know, do software updates and stuff like that um, for the machine as long as they're on the same network, which is awesome. Um but it's also, you know, you can either Wi-Fi direct or you can jack into it and print from a computer, no app required. Um, right. Yeah, go it's, Epson. It's, just, it's great. Love you, um, Epson. Oh, but, but that, uh, that leads me to the second point, which is we... Uh, there, there are a couple of, like, popular TTRPG topics that we revisit a lot. One of them is, the you know, what's your preferred TTRPG like battle station like if if you had a room in your house that you could just set up for ttrpgs what's your dream table and stuff like that the other one is um in person versus online what are the pros and cons what do you prefer and why and for which games and i have i have shifted on this in the past year i went from a um you know, a very, like, middle-of-the-road, I like in-person better for some things and online better for some things, and they both have their place, but I don't have a favorite, to now where I really prefer in-person. Online does have a lot of strengths. However, like, there is some magic in-person that is very, very hard to get online. And uh, Jack like I said, had an opportunity to play in a Delta Green game with me and some friends a couple of weekends ago, and I think I was able to, you know, move the needle for him on that anyway. So, Jack, I would I would be very curious to hear what your thoughts are on that now. Yeah, so it's, it's a little hard for me to say just because I have so little experience on the in-person playing. Like, overwhelmingly, my experience is, is with online play. But... Sure. Um... There's there's definitely some really cool aspects to playing in person. I mentioned this to you when we were driving back because we we were having this conversation, but there was a moment in the scenario where we were all looking at a handout 
you would you would give us the handout. We were all looking at it, and then you were, you know, playing one of the characters describing the handout to us. And the the person that you were playing as was commenting on some specific element of this pamphlet. There's a symbol, like oh, you, you know, there's a certain symbol that keeps popping up. And I at the table just kind of put my finger on it, and you saw me do that, and you said yes, that one. And that's a, like. It was just a very clean kind of interaction. It was small, but it's the kind of thing that you would never be able to get in an online play. The the fact that you as the handler were able to see me interacting with the handout, and then you responded to the way that I was interacting with it, just made the whole thing feel a lot more genuine and real. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, I, I generally, just for playing itself, I much prefer in person. Um, I think it's... Uh, I like having like the social element there. You can see what everyone's doing and you can more easily gauge like level of interest, uh, you know, when you're losing somebody, um, which, you know, is more or less important depending on which uh, people you're playing with. But there's there's something much better about the, you know, the social aspect of being in person, in my opinion. Um, Now, I think you can have a really good fusion of the two. Um, Like... I don't think there would be anything stopping you from, you know, everyone's got, uh, you know, their laptop with them and they can see the roll 20 table or whatever. I like that may sound stupid to some people. I think that's like a totally fine way to play in person. You get in a lot of ways the best of both worlds doing that. Totally um, agree. But the thing that the, the thing that I would anticipate being weird for people if I was running an in-person game is uh, this may not come as a surprise to anybody. Excuse me. Uh, I really like making podcasts of the uh, of the sessions we do, and let me let me amend that statement immediately. I don't enjoy the process of making the podcast, but I like having the podcast. Um, like I, I like being able to do that, and it's not entirely seamless when you're doing it online. Like there's still technical issues you run into, or or you know I'm always seeking better audio quality, and it's a struggle sometimes, but. You know, by and large, you're already using a mic and some other stuff, so, you know, the distance isn't necessarily that far to travel. If you're doing it in person, um, that can be a little more cumbersome and, for a lot of people, maybe a little uncomfortable uh, or something that they just don't want to do. Whereas, you know, if we have, like, a guest on and just say, hey, open Audacity and do a recording, they're like, yeah, okay, sure, because that's all they have to do. So that would be the thing that would get me in person unless people, like, came in with the knowledge that that was going to happen the good thing about that is i would be able to more closely control what is happening with the audio setup so i wouldn't have to i wouldn't have to leave it to anybody else to try to figure out audio issues i could just do it myself and then it wouldn't burden anyone else yeah i think i think that makes a lot of sense and i i like the hybrid option i think in a lot of cases especially if it's going to be something um I guess more technical in terms of maps and, and tokens and placement and things like that. Having laptops out at the table is uh, totally doable and good. Um, but some, some things that I think are easy to miss are, well, first to, to echo what Jack was saying, um, especially if you're playing like a more modern game, like we were playing a Delta Green uh, scenario where in the specific case he was describing, their handler was briefing them on a case and they were sitting at a table. And so there are things that, yeah, I, I guess like if, if we were doing, if we were playing remotely, you would just be 
you know, acting out by voice or something like that. Whereas if you're playing, um, if you're playing in the same room, you can introduce a level of like physicality to it. Like we we actually are sitting at a table, and so um, you know, I can look at you and I can gesture and I can change my posture and things like that. And it's it it's more than just speaking in a slightly different voice. Uh, and I think that right. makes it much more real. You can lean in and look at them and, and things like that. There's a lot of, like, the the connection. I mean, people say all kinds of things about how much of our communication is nonverbal and stuff like that. But the, the connection between the people at the table as they're role-playing can be a lot deeper, I think, um, if they're in the same room. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. Uh, and I'll tell you I'm going to keep bringing it back to the technical aspect the thing that I think about with that is that's great and then I think but how would I keep people close to their microphones if they were doing that (laughs) Um, sure and and so I spend too much time thinking about this because I enjoy playing D&D and I like I like having the podcast version of it I would like to one day be able to do in person D&D where I am making a podcast out of it Um, again not necessarily because I'm trying to make this a career or something but because it's something that I like having um, because I find the games we play entertaining and I like to re-experience them in podcast form. Right. Um, so I, I, think- I think you would just need to mic up the table in such a way that we can still clearly see each other. Like, Give everybody lapel mics. Yeah, lapel mics is one thing. Um, like, ah. They typically are, are good enough and that would that's like the easiest answer. Um, yeah. The thing that I always think about though is, again, one of the, one of the superpowers that we have with the format we currently use is um, you can listen to music, but I can cut that out entirely and then uh, put in music on the back end, which allows me to truncate silence and make the whole thing shorter. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to have ambient music in person, if I've got you all wearing headphones, we can still do that. But arguably, that's not necessarily something that people are going to want to do. Um, otherwise, I have to have no music um, for two reasons. One, I would either have to use the royalty-free music... Um, in order to to publish it somewhere, or um, I would, you know, I wouldn't be able to cut out silence anymore because there would be no silence. And if I was able to do that, it would like chop up the music and it would be very distracting. So no, that's a that's a good point. But technical I, issues. I and I, I think in that case, I don't think getting people to wear headphones, especially if they're comfortable ones, is a you know, I, I don't think that would be difficult. If they're already... You need to be sitting down in a particular position if you're going to be... Well, I guess not if you're using a lapel mic, but... Um, the, the next thing I was going to say that plays directly into this is... One of the great things about playing in the same room is... We all have this, the exact same ambiance. And you can yes. control it. Yeah. Um, and while on the one hand, I like that you know, exactly what you just described, that people are able to listen to music and it doesn't contaminate our recordings when we play remotely. I have had some really, really good um, DG sessions in person where we're all listening to the same dark, ambient kind of music. And and these things kind of build on each other where you know, in combination with the, the role play being that much more... I, you, know, you say intense, and this sounds like very, uh, you know, improv, like amateur theater stuff, which isn't the way that I mean it. Um, but it's it is it's more intense, and uh, you know that stacks on top of 
or is multiplied by the effect that the lighting and the music and stuff like that have, and everyone's getting the same stuff. And um, that, yeah. that's a big deal. There was uh, the technique that I used uh, when I was running the campaign for you and your friends was I had an iPad that I had uh, connected to, I think it was actually your Bluetooth speaker, uh, the little Bose one. And yeah. what I had was a, basically it was like a, um, a soundboard kind of app where I just had, I had one tab for all the songs and then I had a tab for like ambient noise, like a fire or the ocean or rain or, you know, whatever, um, or certain smaller sound effects. And so what I could do with that is I could play multiple sounds at the same time. So, hey, I've got the music playing and then I go to the ambience tab and I play whatever I want to play there. And that was, I'm sure there are better solutions out there, but that's what I did for the in-person table. That would be much easier. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially the same thing you do or you can do with Foundry or uh, Roll20, uh, but I was just doing it kind of separately. And I think that worked relatively well. Um, I think I could do a much better job of doing that kind of thing. But there's there's a there's an answer to all of the things that I think about when I'm trying to juggle the logistics of how do I make the podcast I want to make and combine that with uh, in-person gameplay. I think there's definitely something there. I would just have to actually get the right equipment. Because um, my goal with all of that is to... I want to ease the burden on the player. I don't want to make them have to do any of the work. I want the setup to do the work. And mm. I just do the setup. Um, and then all they have to do is, you know, mic up or whatever, and then sit down and play. Um, and that the experience is good. And then, like, my my technical problems don't become their problems. That's the goal. Yeah. Yep. Nerf, what do you think about all this? I know that we've talked quite a bit about the kind of dream table stuff. But what's, what's your take on remote versus in person? I, um, I, I like different ones for different things um which i think pretty much everyone has said to some extent um so i've i've dm'd a few games of uh of mothership uh i guess one game of mothership in person and um and i really liked it like especially a game like that where the we we kind of had a map in front of everyone but for the most part you know we were all focused on just kind of like each other and and, and kind of acting against each other and uh, I, I thought for a game like Mothership, which is really focused on on horror and um, kind of like your reaction to things that you're seeing, I thought it played played really well. Um, that being said, I definitely for the money playing online is much better for tactical games um, because purchasing all of the the terrain and the minis and things like that to play in person is very very expensive. Whereas, you, man, that's why you use Lego. Yeah, <laughs> or or you could use Lego. Um, whereas like online you can get a really legit looking setup fairly cheaply um, so yeah I, I mean different different things you know um, some you know if it's a really like narrative focused game I, I really like in person because I think it's more uh, intimate I guess um, whereas yeah it's gonna I, be I think more, the atmosphere does a lot for it yeah wherever <laughs> it's going to be more technical I, I like online yeah I, I definitely uh I think I'm aligned with that sensibility. Um, I have played one... Well, I've played one D&D game where Caboose made this beautiful bit of scenery and we used miniatures and stuff like that. I like playing with miniatures a lot and I have stuff to do that as a DM, but I don't have miniatures and I don't have terrain. So I have, like, status indicator rings... Um, and I have spell 
you know, cones and boxes and stuff like that to lay down for areas. Um, like, basically, the, I have, like, yeah. a small kit that I can bring with me, but I, I'm i not interested in collecting, you know, lots and lots of terrain and, and things like that. I, I think I might, if at some later stage of my life I have a, a house where I have space for this stuff and I'm, I'm not worried about it getting lost or damaged in a move. But um, I thought that the... the yeah, the session we did there, and then the other, like more wargaming related stuff that I've done uh, with Caboose, where he he has a lot of this more physical miniature stuff. I really like that. I like the whole, you know, ditch the grid system and bust out a ruler and shine a laser to see if you have see if you have line of sight. Those kinds of things. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting though running a game. Yeah, we, we tend to run more sandboxy games, um, and, you know, what that often entails is as as a DM or a GM or a handler or whatever the lingo is for your particular game, the danger is that you will spend a lot of time preparing a scene or a set piece or something like that that the characters choose not to go to. And... Um, you may feel like you have to do some shepherding to get them to go to a location that you think they would find interesting. Yeah, I was about to say the exact same thing, is that that is like the pitfall of of designing and building, like something that's kind of elaborate is either, you know, you're you're spending all your time doing that and so you can only build so many, so you're you're limiting what they might be able to interact with, or you're going to try to drive them towards it because you don't want to, you know, you sunk all this time into it and you don't want that to be for nothing. Right. Well, and it's funny though because the flip side of this is, if you are, if you are running a, if you're running something in person and you have this big set piece, maybe it's under a sheet, uh, maybe you know, or, or you know maybe they can see it but they can't put their tokens on it or anything like that. Everyone will be so interested. Everyone will want so badly to get their token on that, on that environment. That they will fight you to get there. Right. Um, or if, if they know it's something bad, they're going to like, oh my god, that looks terrible. Like, what do I have to do to not <laughs> interact with that? Sure. But you know what I mean? The the force, the narrative forces become very different. Um, where, uh, you know, the, the, the player's willingness or unwillingness to go to a location are both more powerful and maybe pulling in the opposite direction than they would be at a digital table. Right. Um, and, and so that is that can be a little unbalancing if you're not ready for it. Here's another side, uh, which is, and maybe other people don't fall prey to this, but I totally did. Um, when I was running the session for you and your friends, a lot of times I would base, hey, what encounters are they going to run, run into? You know, I would eliminate options if I didn't have a mini for it. Uh, it's like, mm. uh, that might be an interesting enemy, but I don't have a good... You know, I don't have it, and I don't have something that's close to it, so I don't want to use that. Like, I, I wasn't. I'm just gonna make up an example. I didn't have a fire giant one, so I wouldn't have had you guys fight a fire giant at any point, even if that would have been cool, because I didn't have a good analogy for it, token wise. Um, right. And uh, and I think I think you might run into similar things, uh, not even necessarily monster wise, but you know, design wise. I don't really have any good ruins things that I can make or uh, or that I've already got in place, so I don't really I don't incorporate that into my story at all. 
And again, I, I'm not joking. I think that using Legos to do this would actually be really cool because the whole point is it's very modular and you can make anything, you know, assuming that you have a sufficient quantity of pieces. Um, yeah. And so I, I think the, the best way to get around some of that stuff, and it's not perfect, but the best way is have sessions end with you saying, hey, what do you guys think you're going to do next? You know, give me two things that you might do next session so that I can yep. I can prepare things for that. And if you get to it, then great. If you don't, maybe you'll get to it later or maybe we'll never use it. But, you know, you can have the sandbox, but still have like a good idea of what the next session is going to entail if you want to prepare something more elaborate. Right. And, and we, we do that in our campaign um, because it, it could be, I mean, I have read through the whole Curse of Strahd module several times, but I still need to go back and reread specific passages if you're going to go there next. And so that's very sure. helpful. And, I mean, things change. Like, as, as the story advances, tweaks have to be made and stuff like that. A uh, couple more notes on this. I, um, another interesting thing about working with physical set pieces is, um, in one case with Caboose, he had made a big sample landscape because he wanted to try out a couple of different techniques for something he's working on right now. And so he basically put this thing in front of me and said, hey, check this out. You know, let me know what you think about these different landscape elements I put in. And um, he had a friend over that same day who was interested in playing D&D, but had never played anything like it before. And so they went and did something else, and I spent like half an hour, and I just got a notebook out, and you know, the idea was like, Given this landscape, what can I write to fit it? Which is the exact opposite of what I would normally do. Which would be, you know, from a digital standpoint, it would be, let's find a module or something like that that we want to run, and then I'll look up some maps that fit the narrative. Um, you know, this is a, I have a landscape, let me write something that suits it. Um... And we had a really good time. I, I thought that was interesting, and I'd never done it before, but I would really like to do it again. Yeah, um, it's interesting you say that. Uh, sorry, finish your thought. Oh, just one, one more thing, and I don't know if anyone else remembers this, but when I was a kid, there were all these... Um, whenever there would be a commercial for like an action figure or a cool... Like a toy that was a truck or something like that, it would... Like the commercial would be shot in either like a backyard or some kind of like, you know, some some kind of cool terrain, like there would be, you know, water, like a water feature and, and maybe uh, like grass or dirt or something like that where, you know, the, the action was taking place. And I, I always, I've always thought that instead of doing a lot of like elaborate scenery, you could probably get away with doing a lot of cool D&D stuff on a large scale just outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you could take some tokens or if, if you have kids or if you still have old action figures or you want to do the Lego thing, you probably have access to like a pretty reasonably large landscape either at your house or in a park or, or something. And you could, you know, provided it's like a comfortable enough day, you could get a lot of this and a ton of variety in space outside. So you're saying that I could play... As Action Man, the greatest hero of them all. Action Man, uh, the greatest hero of them all. Yeah, I don't see why. <laughs> Amazing. Not. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, got a link. Uh, yeah, no, I, I remember the. Yeah, no, I'm looking it up. Don't worry. Uh, I know what you're talking about, though. Uh, that, that's all I have to say about this. 
Yeah, it's it's funny that you say, you know, talking about, you know, which way does the inspirational arrow point? Um, you know, do I figure out everything I want to do and then just find maps that, that match it as closely as possible or design my own if that's something that I'm inclined or able to do? Or do I find a cool map and say, ooh, you know, how does a story lead here? Um, and then do it the other way or any com- like anywhere in between those two things, both of which I think are perfectly valid artistic endeavors. Um, for the session that I was going to run this week, uh, when we thought that you were going to not be here, um, I had kind of done it the the second way, where I, I had something of an idea of what I wanted to do, but when I went to go look at the... Uh, I forget his name, I think it's like it's like Dan's Table or Dan's Gaming on Patreon. It's where I got all the maps for the, uh, for the Witch Hunt sessions. I was like, well, let me just look at what he's got, because it might match what I'm thinking. And I found a bunch of maps that like really inspired me to change what I was going to do uh, from my initial thought and like oh hang on like this map makes me think that this kind of thing would be cooler let's do that instead um, and so that is I, I didn't end up completing the whole thing we were going to do because uh, I found out relatively early in the week that you were going to be running a real session for us but um, that's that's how I went about you know doing that kind of session slash mini campaign design is I ended up being inspired by the maps to do something totally different um, and, and have what I want to do match up with those maps, and I think it'll be cool. I will one day run that session or set of sessions uh, for us, but I was telling Jack before we started, um, I want to run it in my campaign setting, which I, mm. I need to get back to work on making because I, I haven't done any work on it in like over a year at this point. Yeah. But uh, not that that has like a huge difference, like, you know, by and large, it will have no impact. Just like most of the time, if you're doing something on the Sword Coast, it doesn't really matter if you're, you know, yeah, on the Sword Coast or if you're in, you know, a fake version of Europe or if you're in, you know, Greyhawk or whatever other setting. They're all basically the same, like moment to moment. So it really doesn't have a big impact, but it'll it'll help me to, it'll kick me in the pants and make me actually get to work on finishing my campaign setting. Mm. It'll be awesome when we do it, I promise. Hey, I had fun with the last one. Looking forward to it. This will be at level yep. three, though, so it'll be, like, more manageable. <laughs> like level 30? Yeah, level 30, 40, 50. I haven't really decided, but... Yeah. I was really looking forward to Nerf, your character. He he looked really cool, <laughs> and I was excited <laughs> to see what ended up happening with him. We'll get, we'll get to see him. Uh, I was excited, too. I I set up, like, some, some macro, so it would automatically roll, like, the wild magic uh, every time I cast a spell. The wild magic sorcerer is something you've been talking about doing for a really long time. Oh, it <laughs> has. It just, yeah, it just hasn't come up yet. It has. Unfortunately, it just like we haven't had the right, uh, right place to slide it in. So you don't have the right, or you don't have the right. Or oh, you, you don't, don't have, have the right. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm excited for for when that day comes. Uh, so, uh, Duncan, next time you're out of town, it's on. Or next time well, you just don't want to run a session, it's on. You just you let me know. Yeah, I, I don't have to leave. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you gotta go. No. <laughs> just so everyone can be on the same page. Uh, I had published some drink recipes for Red Dragon Crush and Purple Shabriri Great Mash number three. Um, within the server, I don't think anyone has tried to make them yet. Um, where, where did you put them? They're somewhere in... I... Don't Discourse. remember seeing these. Uh, these are. I seem to recall this was a while ago. I want to say. Right, it was a long time ago, and everyone just said, "Fuck you, I don't want to play along at all." Maybe it's in tabletop material. 
it's late it afternoon is not gaming in tabletop material yep okay here we go so it is in late afternoon gaming it was posted in uh yeah you can just search red dragon and it'll come up gin or vodka crushed strawberry soda <laughs> some mashed or sliced strawberries <laughs> Very- Purple Shabri Grape Mash Gin Crush Grape Soda It's all about Crush Yes Yeah If the uh, I, I don't have the ingredients for that So I'm just going to drink Wine um, During the session Because it makes me think about The Wizard of Wines And Strahd Oh man um, Gotta see if I have some The uh, Official uh, Candle Scent Of tonight's session Will be Pine Pine for a candle. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the official beverage of this session will be water. <laughs> um, I uh, I am thinking of, you know, maybe when I retire, starting a an air freshener or candle uh, line that has um, actual descriptive, like titles that are descriptive of the scents. It's not things like Midnight Breeze, or Cashmere Woods, or like Oasis, or like it'll <laughs> it'll be like Ground Coffee, or I, I, I you know what I mean? Like it, those aren't helpful. So or what, you don't know what Alpine cigarette. Rush smells or tastes like. <laughs> I, I don't. I I know what Black Ice smells like uh, because it's the ultimate car air freshener. Mm-hmm. Um. Alpine but, Rush might be a Gatorade flavor, it might be a candle, it might be deodorant. I I don't know. <laughs> it's right. any of those things. Um, so, and maybe that's intentional. Maybe they they give them vague names because they want you to smell all of them because you're more likely to buy more that way. I don't know. You know, if they force you to start smelling things instead of just looking at a list and going like, oh, I want the one that smells like coffee. I like coffee. Um, but then we also have a problem where there's a shortage of, like manly scents what, describe a manly scent for me what does that mean uh so leather. like motor oil like <laughs> <laughs> so i, I leather, mean unironically i really like the smell of gasoline well, i don't sure everybody does everyone pretends like, like they don't but we all like the smell of gasoline i like but yeah, sawdust um charcoal I, i've had a yeah, candle le- before that was tobacco scented yeah tobacco leather um, Sawdust, I'm there. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But here's the thing. Like, what... I don't know. Do you not like the way non-manly scents smell? It depends. So, and there's a difference between, like, you know, do, would I be offended by smelling it? And do I want my living... Like, do I want my house to smell this way? Um, and there's a guy... So, I've... I've said this before, I don't think I'm giving too much away here, but I used to work a job where I was uh, pretty isolated for long periods of time with a small group of people. And there was one dude that uh, he would bring women shampoo and use it because he... Because uh, it smells better? Well, not just because it smells better, but because he missed the smell. Oh, that's fair. Um... But it was also it was also weird and confusing because you'd see people turning around like like who's in here? What is that? And uh, and they'd realize oh it's you know it's Steve. He just smells like a woman. Um, and uh, 
But you know what I mean? Like you can, I guess my point is you can like the way something smells without wanting to smell like it. And similarly, you can like the way something smells without wanting your home to smell like it. Um, sure. I guess when we're talking about like candle scents, though, I don't, I don't think there's any like, you know, I guess we would call them like girly scents or something that I wouldn't want my house to smell like, I guess. Uh, and I think that's where we diverge is, um, I don't know. I guess I want these more like earthy. I, I, What's I don't not know. earthy I don't about know. flowers, though? I, uh, you know <laughs> what? I there. think this is one of those things where I, I like, I have a preference and I could attempt to explain it and it might be right, but it probably won't be. And sure. the fact is just that I have a preference. And, yeah, that's fair. I, I, uh, I quite like, you know, the smell of lavender or something like that. Like, I would love for my house to smell like lavender. Yeah, and see, I, I don't necessarily want candles or air fresheners that make my whole place smell like dryer sheets, which suffers from the same problem. Um, you know, I there are there are scents that, you know, if, if I could get a wood smoke flavored, um, you know, air freshener, that's what I would have in my apartment, but I can't. So instead it smells like, you know, midnight uh, epiphany. You know, <laughs> that's like a great like, name yeah. for a scent. Midnight Epiphany. I would like my house to just smell like a bakery, though. I think that's the that's the best scent. My my house sound smells like uh, you know Thursday evenings. Although I gotta say, sawdust. That that's a really good one. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, but that is a great scent, and that is something I would definitely not mind having my house smell like is sawdust. So, really, the ultimate, the ultimate is um, fresh cut grass. Petrichor. Oh, okay. Petrichor. The the smell like right before the rain and as the rain is starting that comes up off the concrete. Difficult to capture. Yeah, um, but you know what I mean. Like, you can smell, oh, it's just starting to rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, that's it. Go get your so, so what's the official scent of this podcast, then? Midnight. Midnight uh, Epiphany? Midnight Solitude. I like Midnight Epiphany better. <laughs> midnight, yeah. Okay, Midnight Epiphany. Go light a candle that smells like Midnight Epiphany. Yeah. 